You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. You know, as a pastor, you get called on to do a lot of things, um, make a lot of announcements, and uh, called on to do a lot of things. I've been called out at night to go to the hospital or to go to somebody's house or um, to come and counsel. Um, I, led a, I led a young guy to the Lord years and years ago in my first church out of seminary. He was, golden go- he was a boxer. Uh, he was a golden gloves boxer. Um, lightweight. He had married the skinniest little girl you could ever imagine. She was about as big as a toothpick. I had to jump in between the two one night because she was going to kill him. Um, he couldn't defend himself against that. And I, when I got through separate, I was just worn out, absolutely worn out. I said, go home. Don't say a word to each other. Don't even look at each other. Just go home, go to bed, take your Bibles, read 23rd Psalm six times, and then go to sleep, and I'll see you tomorrow. Do you know that couple is a happily married old couple to this day? Well, you get, well, I just, I, listen, I, you get called to do a lot of things. One of the things that I've been called to do um, on a number of occasions is to stand with a family and watch their home burn. Um, I, I remember before I saw Scott's not here, Scott uh, Lenning, before I saw Scott, met Scott on the pulpit committee here, I stood out in Dallas, Texas with one of the sweetest families at First Baptist Dallas and uh, watched their home burn and Scott was a neighbor and Scott came over. And um, that's where I first met Scott or saw Scott. Um, and then he remembered that when I was called here. I have done that on occasion. Watch that. Now, professional firefighters will tell you that when you are in a house that's on fire, you cannot stay upright. You don't stand upright and try to run out of the house if the house is consumed in fire. Because up on the head level, the temperature gets up to at least 600 degrees. And uh, at 600 degrees, when you take a good deep breath, you're going to scorch your lungs and you're not going to make it. And so these professional firefighters will tell you, get down on your hands and knees. And on your hands and knees, an adult for about 10 to 15 minutes can survive 160 degree temperature um, for that long, it's about 150 degrees down on the floor. So get on your hands and knees and crawl out of the place. Now you say, when a pastor, why are you telling us that? Because the house of Israel's on fire. Moses is in a crisis. They are in a crisis and they don't realize that they are going to be struck down. Uh, the house of Israel is on fire in Exodus chapter 32. And that's where I want you to go. What is Moses going to do? He's going to get on his hands and knees. Where should you go in a crisis? You should get on your hands and knees. 
And what he's going to do in this passage is he's going to pray. Now, if you just recall those four verses or so, uh, one, two, three, four verses that Stacy just read, uh, God is speaking to Moses, and Moses is not answering at all. Moses doesn't respond back. Uh, he's going to respond in verse 11, but if you've got your copy of God's word, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, God is uh, speaking to Moses, and he's telling Moses what's going on. He says in verse 7, uh, the Lord spoke. Here's God's account. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once. Don't hesitate. Go down at once for your people whom you brought up. Do you notice that? You've done that, haven't you? Every parent in this place has done that. Well, that's your child. Those are your children. He says to the people whom you've brought up, your people whom you've brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves and they've quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshiped it and have sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now what they've done, God tells Moses, he says they have broken the first two commandments of the covenant that they agreed to obey. He says, they have now gone and sought another God or gods, and they have built an image of it, and they are worshiping that thing and sacrificing uh, to it, and they have now replaced me because they say, this is the God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, you don't hear from Moses because Moses' mind, you can almost hear his mind churning right here. It's almost as if he's in shock. Has anybody ever told you something and you just could not answer because you're trying to process everything that's just been said? You're trying to go through in your own mind. Now, you're, you're trying to figure out, how can this be? I was just there. I just told them what you said. They just agreed to be obedient to your word. And now you're telling me they're down there and they've already broken the first two commandments. Well, that's God's account of what's going on. He knows what's happening. Then he comes in his anger. And look at what he does here in verse 9 and verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Now, what was the last thing I said to you last Sunday? We'll find out, were y'all listening or not? The last thing I said to you was this, God is always watching, right? He always sees us. He never takes his eyes off of us. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't run off from us. He doesn't try to get out from taking care of us. He's always watching, and God comes right here, and he says to Moses, I've seen this people. I've had my eyes on them. I've been keeping my ear open, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now, some of you have a translation uh, that is probably, I, I like it a little better because it describes actually what they were like, stiff neck. That's the first time that is ever used in Scripture, but it's going to be used an awful lot through the rest of the Old Testament. They are a stiff-necked people. I heard my dad use that a time or two. Um, 
Verse 10, now let me alone, leave me alone, get out of the way that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. Now, I really started to preach this, but I don't, I'm not going to take the time. I'm not doing it because I felt led to do something else. But if you look at that, do you hear what he says to Moses? I'm going to wipe out the memory of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm going to install you as the head of my people now. I'm going to, you know, I'm trying to think, I'm going to remove Warren Buffett uh, from whatever, Berkshire, Hathaway, and I'm putting you in as the head guy of that. And can you imagine the salary uh, that you're going to make. And that's what he's saying to Moses. That's what he's telling Moses. He says, I'm going to remove the head of whatever corporation you might want. I'm going to put you in there and you're going to become the guy that everybody will look back to the way we look back to Abraham. Moses never responds to that never responds to it, never thinks of himself. Now, you want, you want to know what Moses is? He is a great pastor, if he's anything. He spent the last 40 years watching sheep. Now he's watching people, and you see that God has invested 40 years of him watching sheep because now he's not just going to keep up with sheep. He's going to keep up with his people, and he could not even entertain the idea of God doing that. This whole passage, and I'm going to take you down through verse 14, this whole passage deals with prayer. It deals with prayer in the midst of a crisis. It deals with prayer in those moments when things are really bad. And uh, Moses is not even going to get down there until after verse 15. But I want you to watch at what happens because in those moments of crisis, in those moments of deep, dark crisis of sin, God calls somebody to pray. Now, just watch this. I'm going to give you just two points in all of this, and y'all believe that, but two main points in, in, anyway. I want you to watch what's going to take place now, and you hear, you've heard from God. God's already given you his account of what's going on down there with these Hebrews, and God now tells you, this is what I'm going to do. And then we're going to come in verse 14 to one of the most confusing, debated, fussed about, questioned verses, does God change his mind? Okay, well, we'll get to that uh, someday. Somebody else can preach that. No, I'm going, to, I'm going to tackle it here in just a moment. Number one, I want you to watch this because you're going to see the examination of intercession. Now, Kirkwood just quoted a verse up here out of Philippians a moment ago. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to show you just one or two passages. If you've got your copy of God's Word, put your finger there in Exodus chapter 32, and uh, go with me back to Ephesians. Ephesians uh, somewhere. Ephesians chapter 6, I believe it is. Ephesians chapter 6, where you're going to read this in verse 18. Paul writes and he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. With this in view, be on the alert. Uh, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, pray on my behalf. Uh, that 
utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Now, I'll just stop there. He's already given you several types of prayer. He comes and he speaks of prayer. He speaks of petition. Uh, he speaks of perseverance, a persevering prayer. If you look on over into Philippians, um, I think it's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, Paul says. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. He gives you a number of types of prayer. He comes and he speaks of prayer. He speaks of supplication. That's a type of prayer. There is a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, there is a prayer of requests. There is a prayer of praise. Uh, I could take you back again to Ephesians, but I won't do it. Just get on back to Exodus chapter 32. There are all these types of prayer, and the one prayer that you find here in Exodus chapter 32 is intercession. That's what Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus. He says, pray for me uh, while you're praying. Pray for me. Intercede for me. Now, intercession, petition, there's petition. I don't know if I mentioned that. Petition is basically 99% of what we do when we pray. I'm petitioning God on my behalf. God, I need this. God, I've got to do that. I need some help with that. God, we need this over here. God, I would like that. All of the prayer, most of our prayers made up by petition. Here, you're going to see how important intercession is, that is me praying for you. Are you praying for someone else? Now, I, I barely sleep on Saturday nights. I've been up since 2.30 this morning. I woke up this morning with, uh, with several couples on my mind. I woke up with my son and his wife on my mind. I prayed for them. I felt like that's what God was doing. He was waking me up to pray. And so I prayed for them, and then I prayed for a 16-year-old young man that we've known since he was born. I dedicated him to the Lord. Um, Debbie kept him in the, uh, in the nursery. Um, she has a special love for this young boy. 16 years of age, two weeks ago, dove in the pool, broke his neck, 11 hours of surgery. He is... Uh, Paralyzed from the chest down, uh, surgery they were hoping would uh, do something for him, and uh, he was in tremendous pain, so they gave him something to rest, and he's never come out of it. And so now they've taken him off of life support. And uh, we are two and three and four times a day back with the family there in Jacksonville, praying with them, talking to them, wondering, how's it go? That's intercession. I woke up, I prayed for him. Um, whenever God wakes you up early in the morning like that, pray. Uh, don't flip over and go back to sleep. Don't turn on the TV. And for Lord's sake, don't go get on the internet. Uh, pray. Spend that time in prayer. Use that as a time to intercede. I prayed for you. I thought about this. I'm preaching on intercession. So I thought, well, it's, maybe I want to pray for these folks down there at Valleydale. So that's what Moses is going to do. He's going to pray the prayer of intercession here. He's going to come before God, and he's going to begin to mediate for the people. Now, Job gives us that in Job chapter 9, verse 33. He said, oh, that there was an umpire that could lay his hand on both of us. That's an intercessor. That's someone who is entreating God for someone else. That is... Um, uh, that's a mediator that is there that 
uh, Job was praying that somebody could put his hand on God and somebody could put his hand on me and that he would intercede, mediate for me with God. That's what you do when you intercede. That's what Moses is going to do right here. And I want to show you that in a couple of ways. Number one, I want you to watch now as he approaches God. How do you approach God in intercession? Then Moses entreated the Lord. Now, folks, all I'm doing here is this. I'm going straight down the passage, and I'm just doing an exposition of what is here. He comes and he entreats the Lord. Now, let me tell you what the word entreated means. It means to be weak. It means to be increasing in sickness or weakness. Uh, it means to um, be grieved. And you say, well, how do they get the word entreat? It's this whole concept of how a little child comes in weakness, increasing weakness, and entreats the parent, asks the parent, requests of the parent. You know what this reminds me of? You don't, you don't have to turn there, but let me tell you what this, this whole, that whole word right there and that concept reminds me of. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to it right now. Listen, listen to this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It, it reminds me, when it says he entreated, it means in his weakness, in his humility, in his humbleness, he comes and he begins to ask God. Now let me tell you something, God will honor your humility. God will honor your humbleness. God will honor you when you come before him and there is a humility and a humbleness in your life and that's the way Moses comes to him. But let me, let me show you something in the text here. Then Moses entreated the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people? What had God just said to him? Get away from me, Moses. Leave me alone, Moses. Go away and let me be my myself, Moses. Don't disturb me, Moses, so that my anger may burn against them and that I may just zap the fire out of them. And what does Moses do? In humility, in boldness, he comes before the Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't creep up like a mouse. He doesn't go sit in a corner somewhere. He comes there in boldness and he begins to pray and ask God for God not to do what he said he's gonna do. Now listen, let me tell you, all over the word of God in the New Testament, you're going to find passages like that. I'm gonna go over to Hebrews and I want you to listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter four, we come and we read in verse 15, for we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, therefore, because of that, let us draw near with 
confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Then you get on over here into chapter 10. And in chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews is going to say it again. He's going to come and he says in verse 19 of chapter 10, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. He says, we've got all of this confidence. Confidence means literally a freedom of speech. It means, honestly, uh, that I can say to God anything that I want to say to God, that he doesn't restrict me, that he doesn't hold me back, that I have a freedom to come before him and to say that's confidence. Literally, when you look up the word in the Greek, the word carries the idea that you don't have to come with metaphors or figures of speech. I don't have, listen, when I've got some issue in life, I don't have to stop and think, now, how do I say this to God? How am I going to say it? How am I going to say it? How am I going to say it? He just says, say it, pray it, talk to me. You can come with confidence. You get back over here to Ephesians chapter three and verse 12. We're told this, in whom we have boldness and confident access. If you are a child of Jesus Christ and you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, let me tell you something. There is nothing that holds you back from going before the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son, and boldly asking him what you need. But I would tell you, you remember how he went to God. He went there in humility. I watch some of these guys on TV. Don't y'all do it. But some of these guys, I'm going to God and I'm telling God this. Listen, let me tell you something. God's liable to tell you something. It's with humility. It's not barking out some kind of orders as if God is my personal genie, my personal vending machine, and you've got to do what I'm telling you to do. Well, okay. Did y'all get that? Now, let me, let, me, let me go on and give you something else that is here. I want you to watch the appeal that's going to be made. And he's going to make this appeal in three ways. He's going to appeal to God, and all of the appeal deals with God. doesn't deal with the Hebrews. It deals with God. Now, watch it what Moses does. He comes in, in the middle of verse 11, and he says, you have brought out from the land of Egypt with a great power and with a mighty hand. Now, did you see what God and Moses are doing? They're, they're, they're laying the people on each other. God comes to Moses and he says, your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt. Moses said, no, 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 God. That's not quite the way it is. You have brought them out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. He comes to him, first of all, there with the appeal of redemption. You're the Savior. You're the Redeemer. You're the Deliverer. He's praying this to God. Now, I'm trying to give you ways that you go before God in intercession. I need to pray for my wife. I need to pray for my children. I need to pray for my grandchildren. I need to pray for this person, that person. And I go before God. God, you are the Redeemer. I can't deliver them. That's what Moses is saying here. You are the Savior. You are the one who is uh, the deliverer in all of this. You save them. You bring them up. And it's with the power uh, of your mighty hand, your great power, your mighty hand. 
So he begins that appeal with God being the God of redemption. Now he's going to come and he's going to appeal to God's glory. He comes in verse 12 and he says this, why should the Egyptians speak saying with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger. Change your mind about doing harm to your people. What he's doing here is this. He's saying, God, if you kill these Hebrews, what are the Egyptians going to think? What are they going to say? They're going to remember that you said you were going to deliver them out of Egypt so that you could take them into the promised land. They're going to say, you are a God that is just tricky. You brought them out so that you could just kill them. Or they're going to say, you brought them out, but you really don't care about them. You just brought them out. Now you got tired of them and you don't care about them. You've just gone off. Or that you brought them out and in bringing them out, you're not able to take care of them. See, Pharaoh really could feed them and take care of them, but you can't feed them and you can't take care of them. That's what's going to happen. He's appealing to the glory of God. He's appealing to the character of God. He says, God, you're not that kind of God. You can't do that because that's not you. That's not your heart. That's not your character. That's not your nature. You are a God of glory. Your glory is over all the earth. There is nothing that you can't do. And you don't want these Egyptians, these pagans back there saying, well, God brought them out, but he just let them go. He just killed them, whatever. So he appeals to him by his glory. And then he's going to come and he's going to appeal to him on the basis of the covenant. Look at this in verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel? That's Jacob. You know that. Your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land of which I have spoken, I'll give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. That's what started this whole thing to begin with. If you go back to Exodus chapter two and to verse 24, this is what you read. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Moses comes now in this intercession, and here's the appeal. He's appealing, and he's praying, and he says, God, you can't forget your covenant. Now, they broke your covenant, but you can't break your covenant. You're not that kind of God. You don't do that. Remember what you swore to Abraham. Remember what you swore to Isaac and to what you swore to Jacob or Israel. Remember that you promised them this. They don't deserve it. I would agree with you, but this is what you said. Now, let me tell you what Moses is doing right here in all of this. Now, just listen to me for a second. Moses is coming to God and says, God, for just a moment, forget all these Jews. Put these Hebrews aside. Let's don't talk about these Hebrews. Let's talk about you. God, you're a God of redemption. You're a God of salvation. You are the God that delivers God, beyond all of that, you are the majestic God, sovereign God, who lives in pure and perfect holiness. That is your glory. That's who you are. And, oh, God, you are a covenant-making God, and you don't only make covenants, you keep covenants for all of eternity. So, now, God, I don't want to talk about these Hebrews right here. Let's talk about you. 
Let's talk about what kind of God you are and how good you are and how faithful you are. And that leads me now to the second thing. You ready for it? It's the faithfulness of God. That brings you down to verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now that's one of the most debated debated verses. That's one of the most troublesome verses people come across it's something people struggle with they you know they they don't know how what what do what does this mean what does that say now listen I'm going to take you 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 need to bring a bible to church do you know that I have preached entirely out of the bible this morning isn't that amazing I hadn't had Time Magazine up here or anything else. It's just the Bible I've been preaching out of. I'm going to take you over to Numbers 23, and I want you to listen to this, this, this passage. Numbers 23 and verse 19. Listen to what is said there. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will not do it? In other words, did God say he'd do something and he's never delivered on it? Well, that's that's a, boy, it's bad. You know, I'd give anything if I had my mind back. Um, I'm trying to think of a grammatical term and it will not come. You know, has he said and he will not do it? No, he has done it. Everything he said, he has done. Or has he spoken and he will not make it good? Well, sure he would. Sure he will. Whatever he says, he's going to do. So you come to a passage where you read, no, God does what he says. Now, let me, let me take you to a passage that is real clear. Go to the last book of the Old Testament. Go to the book of Malachi. The people are living in sin. They're back out of Babylonian captivity but my stars, they can't stay out of sin. Sounds like people I know, right? Sounds like me. Cannot stay out of sin. Malachi, the last of the writing prophets, comes before 400 years of silence, and uh, he is looking at all the sin of Israel, and he's telling them God's gonna have to send a messenger, a purifier. He will clear the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger, all of this is prophecy of the coming of Jesus. Now listen to what he says here in Malachi 3 verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Now you say, but now wait a minute, wait a minute. The word has contradicted itself. Don't you say that to me. It has not. The word of God does not contradict itself. You said, well, go back to verse 14 of chapter 32 of Exodus. So the Lord changed his mind. I'm going to show you something here. I hope will answer all of that for you. You have to ask yourself, why did God put that verse there? To grab your attention to yank you into the passage where you'd have to wrestle with this. Uh, The Word of God will do that from time to time. Right here, up out of the text, comes the hand of God, and it grabs a hold of you, and it yanks you. Come here and read this and think about it. Wrestle with it. Let your mind, 
really get into this and listen to what I'm saying to you. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he would do to his people. Now, let me read to you. You don't have to go back there, but let me read to you the rest of verse 6 out of Malachi 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. I've not zapped you because I don't change. He's saying the same thing right here. He's saying, I don't change my mind. When people sin, judgment comes. I am consistent about that. In fact, he's going to show you a number of things here about prayer. Number one, he's going to teach you this. He's going to teach you that prayer and repentance are very important. And we don't pray a lot. We certainly don't pray like we should. And when it comes to repentance, boy, we don't like that whole concept of repentance. God's doing this to show you that prayer and repentance are very important. Number two, God's showing you this to tell you, I take sin deadly serious. I am dead serious when it comes to sin. God hates sin. God loves people. God hates sin. That's not very hard. People argue against that today, but I'm telling you, God hates sin. Well, if God really loves me, he would accept. No, if you really love God, you would accept the word of God. So God hates sin, and we need to understand that. Number three, God's going to judge sin. He's going to judge it. In fact, if you go to Ezekiel uh, chapter 18, you're going to read this, not once, but you're going to read it twice. And uh, it's this, the soul who sins will die. Then you come down in verse 20 of uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, and you read, the person who sins will die. God says, I'm serious about sin. Where there is sin, I am going to bring punishment. And you say, well, you know, that's kind of hard. It's kind of difficult to accept. Let me, let me take you to Jeremiah here for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 18. And I want to read just a portion of this to you. It, this is all over the word of God, everything that I'm giving you. That's why I'm moving from place to place to place. Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as the potter does? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot or to pull it down or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Do you hear what he's saying? You sin, I'm going to judge. You repent, and I'll forgive you. God says that's as consistent as anything in this universe. Now listen, y'all just sit there. That ought to bring for you great relief at this point in the sermon. It ought to bring to you a tremendous relief that God is a God who keeps his word. And I know what God says about sin, that sin is going to be paid for, but God has provided a way to pay for it. 
God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't oscillate. God doesn't vacillate. God is not capricious. He's not back and forth. He's not here and there. God never changes his mind. He has consistently said, I will punish the sinner, but I'll forgive the one who repents. I'm just going to stand back and enjoy the moment. That's just as good a word. Now, let me show you. Have, have you wrestled with a text this morning? I don't want you coming here and me just preaching something soft on you. I want you to have to get down in the word and wrestle with this thing. Now, I'm going to give you something even more to wrestle with. Now, watch this. Ezekiel chapter 22. He is dealing now with all the sins of Israel. He is getting now onto all the priests who have done violence to my law, have profaned my holy things, who've made no distinction between the holy and the profane. Sounds like the culture today. They have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they hide their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among. He's just, and I could go on with all of the, he's talking about the preachers, the prophets. Then he comes, now listen, that's their sin. Then he comes and he says this, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. He said, with all this sin going on in Judah, all of this sin going on in the nation of Judah, all of this from the priests down through the people, he said, I looked for one man who would do what? What Moses did back in 32 of Exodus, intercede for the people. And God says, not one. Not one. But now watch, watch, watch. Listen to what God says. God is consistent. I, there's not, I could say as consistent as the sun, but God's more consistent than the sun. He says, thus I have poured out my indignation on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Couldn't find anybody to intercede. And so what does God do? God does what he does with unrepentant people. Judgment comes. Judgment comes. Now, does any of that sound familiar to you? Does it sound like anything you've heard before somewhere in Scripture? like over in the New Testaments, like around the Gospels, how there were a people down here in rebellion against the Word of God, in their sin, in their idolatry, and God's judgment was going to fall on them until one came who would intercede on a cross and be not only just the prayer of intercession, but the sacrifice as well. So that through him, you and I have been delivered. Now listen, that didn't end 2,000 years ago because what does the word of God say now? He ever lives to make intercession there is one God and one man one mediator who stands between God and man and that is the man Jesus Christ
Let's stand. All of us standing, our heads bowed. I don't know how any clearer to preach the gospel to you than that. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, listen, he died for you. He not only died for you, but he was raised from the dead so that now he not only can forgive your sins and take away your guilt, but he can now give you eternal life with him for all of eternity. And if you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, why in the world would you not come? Why in the world would you not say today with the Lord is the day of salvation? I don't need to wait. I don't need to hear anymore. I know that he's my Savior, and I come to give my life to him. I'm going to be standing here, and I'm waiting for you to come. You just slip out of that row. Somebody will come with you. If you don't want to come by yourself, you can come with someone. Just lean over and say, would you go with me? And I promise you, they'll go with you. We're praying for you right now. Others of you need to come and put your life in the life of this church. You don't need to be without a home church. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, in this day and time especially, you don't need to be without a home church. You need to be in the family of God. So I invite you to come. Just come and tell me we want to be part of Valleydale. Others of you may need to come and get at this altar. Maybe there's somebody in your life you need to pray for. And I've just shown you how Moses did it. Just go to God and appeal to God on the basis of who God is, his salvation. Not of works, it's all of him. Just come and call on the Lord. Father, in these moments, I pray for you to speak to our hearts. And my greater prayer is, Father, that we would respond. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.